This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Today on CityCast Chicago. Let Chicago tell it, and we've got the greatest collection of architecture in the world, and trust me, we ain't afraid to tell it. We'll let you know about the Architecture Center, the tours, and there's even a whole architecture film festival coming up next week. But when we tell it, do we really know what the hell we talking about? Maybe, maybe not. So I called up Lee Bay, the Sun-Times architecture critic, and he's here with a glossary of terms to help us get to know Chicago's steel, brick, and limestone marvels and the stories hidden in their designs. It's Thursday, January 25th. I'm Jacoby Cochran, and this is What Chicago's Talking About. What's good, Lee? Welcome back to CityCast Chicago. Thank you. It's good to be here, my friend. Let's let's start with this big question. Why do we spend so much time in Chicago talking about and obsessing over architecture? Even in casual conversations, it feels like it comes up a lot. You know, it really does. I mean, it's like the other sport in town, right? Uh, (laughs) uh, Discussing architecture. You know, part of the reason is because our history uh, is so wrapped up in our in our buildings. You know, um, you know. You think about the World's Fairs, plural, both uh, 1893 and 1933. You think of um, uh, the Great Migration, public housing. I mean, all that stuff. Uh, the the history of Chicago and its people are written uh, is written in its architecture. You know, f- you know, for years, for you know, most of the city's existence, the best firms and architects to ever practice in the game were either from here or they did their best work here. Oh, okay. Uh, and, and in that, plus being wrapped up, you know, in, in our own personal histories, uh, you, know, go, you know, goes a long way toward uh, making architecture so important here. Let's get into talking about some of the different building styles, some of the different architectural styles that are not only seen in our beautiful downtown, but across neighborhoods. And for me, I got to start at home. You know, I grew up Mm -hmm. largely on the south side with my grandmothers living in Beverly and Chatham and Calumet Heights, and they all lived in what I grew up to know as a bungalow. Right. I know a lot Mm -hmm. of people have heard this this term, whether it's bungalow or bungalow belt. But what does it actually mean? What does a bungalow actually look like? And what's the history in Chicago? Well, uh, a Chicago bungalow is is a particular thing. I mean, the term bungalow had you know already existed. Comes out of, uh, out, of out of out of out of Asia, you know, for these kind of small houses. Uh, the Chicago bungalow is a kind of a different animal, where it's a one and a half story uh, building, so a house. So it has the first floor and an attic, and you know, it was able to be repeated to be built over and over again efficiently, uh, which was the perfect house for a growing city. It's fireproof, which for reasons we both know is really important. Mm-hmm. Um, Chicago had tons of clay pits uh, around it so you could get the building material quickly uh, to, to make the bricks to build the house. But the beauty of it is, in addition to it being a flat out beautiful house uh, in and of itself, uh, it was affordable. And in its affordability, it had everything that the rich guy's house had. 
It had a fireplace. Sometimes it was real. Sometimes it was faux. It had decorative brick. Uh, it had Spanish tile roofs. It had art glass. It had everything that the rich guy had. And land around it. No, a small city lot. Um, and, and that's what made it so so popular. And they're durable. I mean, these things are a century old now, and you can walk into one now, and it's in mint condition. For sure. And again, I grew up surrounded by them uh, over off of 87th and Ashland. But when you think about like the term bungalow belt, oftentimes we're referring to the, the southwest, southeast side, the northwest side. Is there a reason they, they tend to be concentrated in, in such ways uh, around the exterior of the city? You know, that's where the growth was in, in the city. That's where there, by the 1920s, where there was land to build on. And also, uh, you know, it puts you close to some factories and put you close to transit streetcars that could take you to factories. Uh, but it was open, open land there. So from the bungalow one and a half story to another term people will hear a lot is Greystone. When you're thinking about the two flats, maybe the three flat apartments, you know, Brownstone has such a sort of, I feel like a, uh, is in the cultural lexicon in New York, but I don't know if the Greystone is, but essentially they, they, they are, they're very similar in nature. You know, they are. I mean, uh, you, you get a little closer to the um, heart of the city uh, and, and where there's where room is a premium. You can't build necessarily a ton of houses with land all around in the backyard. So you have to build efficiently. So um, so you built these townhouses. Right. Uh, and then there and then the, the gray and the gray stone is Indiana limestone, which is which is pervasive in this area. I mean, even the old Thornton Quarry is where you could get some of that stuff from back when the city was was building. And, you know, and, and this gives Chicago the, the gray of the gray stone. You know, it's a very durable stone, uh, beautiful to look at. And, uh, and, and, you know, you can see it everywhere from Bronzeville to Inglewood to North Lawndale. I mean, a ton of bungalows and gray stones at this point feel like they're in rehab phase. So many things are, in, in many cases, being gentrified in neighborhoods or, or being, you know, sort of torn down and replaced with a modern version of the, the two flat or the bungalow. Are, are gray stones still something that are being built in Chicago? Um, not, not in the way it was in the past. I mean, the building material is very expensive uh, today, uh, even if you, if you can find. I was just reading about Joliet limestone, which is different. It's a little... It's a little more beige, beige in color. How one of the few remaining Joliet limestone mines uh, is, is going out of business. So you know the mines are depleted. The you know the expense if you find them uh, to to build, it's kind of going out. So what what you're having is you know synthetic stones and other things uh, that are being used, or even recycling stones. There's a church uh, in uh, Antioch uh, near the Wisconsin border, which unfortunately to me. Uh, uses the exterior, stripped uh, the exterior stone from uh, St. John of God Church uh, at 52nd, it used to be at 52nd in Loomis. Uh, you know, so you get that on occasion. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, there, there are other stones, synthetic stones that have come into play, uh, come into play now. We talk a lot about the bungalow and the Greystone when you think about Chicago building out. But at a certain point, Chicago also started building up. When I think about high rises, largely uh, were represented when you think about the construction of public housing. Yeah. Uh, and then also Chicago pioneered in many ways the proliferation of the skyscraper. But but those two aren't one and the same thing. What's, what's the difference between like a high rise and a skyscraper in, in modern terms? Because that's obviously changed over the decades. It, it, it has, and, and you'll get, you know, you can start a fist fight in a bar over among architecture types about, about what it is. But uh, essentially a skyscraper 
uh, is and was and is a building that obviously is tall, but um, the exterior walls are not doing the work of holding it up, right? Mm. So what you have is uh, a steel skeleton, uh, or now nowadays, you know, concrete skeleton, um, that essentially is the bones of the building that and, and, and that allows it to achieve its height. And then it's clad in something, whether it's glass or some other material. Now, a skyscraper can be a high rise, um, but not all high rises are skyscrapers. Exactly. Okay. So, so how tall are we thinking when we start getting into skyscraper territory? Now that's another part that's going to start a fight, right? But oh my God, if, y'all fighting over a lot in this bar. Right? Yeah. <laughs> and we haven't even served any drinks yet, and we're already brawling, right? Uh, you know, tall and super tall. So, so I'm old, right? So I'm 57. So Sears Tower, Willis Tower, Sears Tower, tallest, Sears Tower. right, right, tallest building in the in the world from uh, the time it was built in 73 all the way to the to the 90s, right? Um, now, it's something like the 22nd tallest building mm -hmm. or 23rd tallest building. And so beyond the height of the Sears Tower, you get into the other category, which is super tall. So you think about Burj Dubai, some of the buildings you see popping up in the Middle East. So there's high rise, there's, there's skyscrapers, tall buildings, Sears Tower, and then mm -hmm. super, super tall, these slender, uh, but just sort of astronomically tall buildings. Do we start escaping the high rise around 10 stories, 20, 30? Like when, when, when have we made that sort of jump? So, you know, it's going to start the fight. <laughs> but but I, I need but you I, to put some trunks on. What side? Which, which right. corner are you in? All right. So I'm going to say that anything over 15 to 17 stories, that's the transition point. So it's a high rise. Beyond that, beyond 15 stories, 14 stories, it's a skyscraper because, it, okay. it, again, it's going to need the bones to hold it up. Beyond 1,200 feet, then it's uh, up until 1,200 feet, it's tall. I would say beyond that, it's super tall. Mm -hmm. I mean, when we think about a high rise, right, so much comes to housing. But I think high rises are very interesting in our history because they really talk about uh, perception. They really talk about the difference in class because you could think a high rise and now you might think, oh, a high end building, a building with amenities, a building with a doorman. And yet high rises for so long were the building style of public housing, which was uh, the the opposite of amenity field, right? Resource deprived, often uh, sort of left to their own devices. You know, how has the, the story of the high rise also been the story of Chicago? You know, that's a fantastic question because, and, and, and to complicate it even more, we were building residential high rises and commercial high rises that uh, the ones that we know about, Marina, that we talk about, Marina City, Sears Tower, Sandberg Village, uh, Lake Meadows. At the same time, we're building high rises for public housing. So, I mean, it's kind of like one, one has one, one contributes in the 1950s and 60s and 70s to essentially the rebirth of the city. Sears Tower, John Hancock, others. Uh, and the other uh, high rise uh, contributes to the worst parts of Chicago's legacy, warehousing the poor, depriving them of resources. And it's the same building type. It's, it's the it's the darndest thing.
so far in this conversation, we've talked a lot about building types Some things that I feel like if you were walking in Chatham, you saw a bungalow, you could point at it and go, that's a bungalow. You see a gray stone, you know, oh, that looks pretty gray. Looks like limestone. That's a gray stone, right? All right. High rise, uh, skyscraper. But now we also thinking about when we're thinking about architecture, we're thinking about architectural styles in Chicago. One that a lot of people probably think they recognize in Chicago, but definitely comes up a lot is something like Art Deco. Right. That's not a bungalow. That's not a high rise. That That's a style. But but what does it mean when someone says a building is an Art Deco style building? And what are some examples? Well, you know, our Art Deco comes out of France. Right. Um, out of this um, uh, essentially a World's Fair from 1888. Uh, and it's this sort of stylish, you know, uh, where, where the building style is represented in in its in uh, the the the, uh, the architectural detailing of it. So we think about an Art Deco building. Uh, we think about, for instance, the uh, carbon and carbide building downtown. It stands uh, out. It's so it fire. Does. It it's really so is. Fire. Uh, it, but but then but then you got that right. Mm -hmm. But then you also got my favorites in the book, Chicago Vocational High School. Yeah. Uh, which the buildings don't look alike, but they are alike. They, they both mm -hmm. belong to the Art Deco family. Um, if you're ever in um, the Gold Coast, off the streets. Uh, into the into streets like uh, Astor and, and others, you, you you may see a row house, a townhouse or two that has an Art Deco style, and, and usually, again, this really high style um, the way that the ornament is applied. It usually um, uh, you know curves and it kind of applies to nature and, and 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 that kind of thing. It also is a brother. It gets so complicated. See, this is why we fight. <laughs> it's it, it's also related in some reason and influenced by Egyptian architecture. So what's happening in the 1920s is that King Tut's tomb gets opened up and people are like, what, 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 Egypt, my God. And so if you look at the Reedy Storage Company building on Clark Street and I think Lakeview, that's an example. Mm -hmm. um, if, you know, for, for listeners who really wanna get on and get on the internet, look up the Knights of Pythias building, P-Y-T-H-I-A-S. It used to be a 38th in state designed by black people for a black fraternal order built for black people. The um, and, and, if you, and if you look around, the terracotta of that building still pops up now and then in museums and that kind of thing. But it's an Art Deco building, but it's in flu. I was like, isn't this the, like that Skidmore, Owings and Merrill, like Sphinx like building? Uh, you, well, it would sort of predate that Skidmore, Owings and Merrill really is comes a little bit later. I mean, okay. in, uh, and they're really known for these sort of steel and glass buildings uh, like Sears Tower, like John Hancock building. Um, uh, so we're talking about this sort of the last gasp of this kind of very ornamental architecture mm -hmm. that, that, uh, that takes place before we go full modernism and we get into the work that Mies van der Rohe did and others did uh, that brings us down to steel and glass minimalism modernism so let's move let's move there we're, we're moving from the sort of art deco the opulence of what the the 20s and the 30s mm -hmm. what is driving this move towards modernism and how can we identify that that wave in that style well you know the, some of the roots of this goes back to uh, 1930s germany and the and the and the, Bau, the Bauhaus movement 
And these movements are like saying, enough with the past, enough with these neoclassicist styles. We are of this moment and our architecture should reflect this moment. So gone. So get rid of the co columns and the, and the Gothic church, like uh, the buildings, your tribunes and your Wrigley buildings, these revival buildings. Exactly, right? Uh, and, and, that, and in that modernism, in that time, as a time, uh, that, uh, uh, that time should be expressed very much by you know the lack of ornament, um, the rationality of the architecture, the beauty of the architecture will come from the form of the architecture, uh, not necessarily what's applied to it to make it pretty. Uh, so you know, you know the Nazis, the Nazis in Germany closed the Bauhaus. They said that's decadent. Not only is the architecture practiced there decadent, the art that's practiced there decadent, and y'all decadent. So get out. So so they're like, we got to get up out of here. So they so people like Mies van der Rohe, uh, Peter Hans, and others they be, they come to America. And uh, many of them come to Chicago, where people are, you know, where by the 1920s and 30s and 40s, Chicago is rebuilding itself again. So IIT, uh, Illinois Institute of Architect, uh, Illinois Institute of Technology, their College of Architecture and, and Design and Photography are sort of bringing these people in. In fact, um, there was actually the new Bauhaus that was at IIT uh, in those early days. And Chicago, because there, you're absolutely right, there is a bottom line to this. Um, if I have to build a building that's 80 stories, I'm not going to want it to look like a Roman Senate building. I'm not going to mm -hmm. put columns and that kind of stuff. So modernism, there is an economic value to it. Yeah. You also see in some of those buildings a little bit more like public space. I'm thinking about out, outside of the, the Daily Center, but then... As we move towards postmodernism, like which might come up a lot as people think about like the Thompson Center, for yeah. example, you do see a return of some of that maybe gaudiness, maybe in form, though, right? Maybe it's not in ornaments of like, oh, there are gargoyles and owls hanging off of everything. Uh, I mean, Harold Washington Library's got, got, got a little bit of that. But you, you do see people kind of getting a little bit more creative and expressive. Uh, so how does postmodernism change modernism a little bit? What, what are those key differences? Well, you know, like 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 anything over time, it gets played out, right? Mm -hmm. So by the 1970s, late 70s, early 80s, there had been 30 years of the black box and architects were coming in and they were saying, young architects and even influential older architects were coming in, they're saying enough of this, enough. It was cool back in the day, but not any mark and moron wants to build it, wants to be able to do this. And the revolutionary nature of what it once was is lost. So what happens is that the, 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 the postmodern, after modernism movement, it, it wants to reach back and reclaim some of the things that were lost when modernism uh, became in vogue. But the idea is not necessarily, you look at NBC Tower here in Chicago, over on City Front Plaza, wherever it is over there. Uh, it clearly is a reference, it's a clear reference to a 1930s building, mm -hmm. Art Deco, Art Deco a little building. Echo Deco. Exactly. So he looks back. As it looks forward, it looks back. Uh, and then you compare that to the Thompson Center, which looks forward more than it looks back, mm -hmm. right? It's saying, we will take the elements of what made a building, uh, uh, a government building. We'll take those elements. We'll take the dome. Give me that. Give me the plaza. Uh, give me the, the, the red, white, and blue. But let me apply it in a way that's modern 
uh, a building that's contemporary. Because uh, yeah. it also looked like a mall. It, it did, exactly, right? Um, and, 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 and futuristic in a way. Mm -hmm. so, so, so postmodernism kind of does that. It refers to the past. It can sometimes uh, repeat elements of the past. And then sometimes it can take elements of the past and remix them and place them into a contemporary context. There are so many other terms that we didn't get to in this conversation that people can learn about in your book. They can learn about at the Chicago Architecture Center. Before we let you go, I feel like we've learned enough to better ask this question. With all the photographs you've taken, all of the, the tours you've given, everything you've learned, what is one of your favorite buildings in Chicago? Oh, that's a good one. Uh, you know, as of you know, as of late, over you know, it's really been Pride Cleaners uh, uh, and Chattels, oh. uh, 79th and, uh, and and St. Lawrence. Can you describe it? So, so this is a building. This is a cleaners, a dry cleaners mm -hmm. that is that has a what's called a hyperbolic paraboloid roof. So, it's a concrete roof that's tilted almost like a glider, a hang glider. Built in built nineteen fifty nine is very much of that time. I absolutely love that building. Uh, of of newer buildings, um, you know, I, you know, I like Aqua Aqua Tower, uh, mm -hmm. uh, Jeannie Gang's building. Uh, I'm I'm liking I'm seeing and I'm going to be going to see more of it for the column, but I'm liking Salesforce Tower. These are one of yeah. the three buildings at Wolf Point that have that have been built. Uh, this one just opened in December. Uh, so these it's these are glass buildings, you know, ubiquitous blue glass buildings. But uh, but I'm, I'm kind of liking that as, as, as well. Lee, this has been a fantastic conversation. I am trying my best to learn more and more about Chicago architecture, just so I can sound, one, a little bit more pretentious, but also I can help <laughs> guide people uh, when they ask me, why is this building so cool? What is the story of it? Uh, and again, I love what you say, Chicago's story is being told in the evolution of our buildings. Uh, so thank you so much for, for stopping by and sharing a couple of those tales. Thank you, always. Thank you. Lee's book that I talked about earlier is called Southern Exposure, The Overlooked Architecture of Chicago South Side. And if you want to go even deeper into some of these terms and buildings we talked about today, check out the Architecture and Design Film Festival from January 31st to February 4th. You can find a link in the show notes. Stay tapped into all that CityCast has to offer by bookmarking our website, chicago.citycast.fm. While you're there, subscribe to our Hey Chicago newsletter and save our number in your phone. You can always text us or leave us a voicemail at 773-780-0246. One more thing. Some good news. Shout out to all our friends over at the Chicago Reader, whose new podcast, The Sit Down, hosted by Chicago musician and creative Shawnee Dez, is available now. You can hear from loads of Chicago creators, from visual artists to chefs, organizers, and everything in between. I'll drop a link for you in the show notes, and much love to all our people over at the Chicago Reader. As always, we appreciate you for reading and listening. I know you only stuck around this long to hear some good, yup, 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 and maybe a potential blooper, but I want you to know if you're still listening, I really, really sincerely appreciate you making us a part of your every day, uh, once a week. Whenever you got time to listen to us or read us, it means a lot to our entire team. We'll be back tomorrow. Peace. <laughs>